Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you on your day, your Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day to focus entirely on you, to leave the cares and concerns of the world, and just focus on the word that you have given us, helping us, strengthening us in our walk as we come before you and learn more about you and about our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll bless those who are gathered this day in your name, wherever they might be around this world, that they would be given a special blessing. We pray also for the safety and, and health of all of your people as we walk this, uh, this way and strive to walk that narrow way. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless us and bless this meeting today. Open our hearts and minds to your word. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. You may be seated. Young Johnny had an obsession with buildings. He loved buildings, architecture, building construction, design, everything about buildings. He had books and books of design and architecture, and he studied it and studied it every chance he got. Even getting down to the dynamics of the physics of building and building construction. He studied the, the masters like Frank Lloyd Wright and Buckminster Fuller. You have a question about anything to do with buildings and the history of them and how they work? Johnny was your man. Well, one day, as Johnny was much older, and now they call him John, he was walking down the street in his town and admiring all the buildings how they're put together, and some that are fantastic architecture. And he stopped all of a sudden and says, I wonder if I'll ever learn to build my own house. Huh? You know, this anecdote may seem a little strange, a little implausible, a little crazy. But there's another one. Young fella was obsessed with baseball. He was just crazy over baseball. He had a room full of baseball cards. He knew every major league player's ERA, RBIs, homers, who played for which teams, where they came from, how long they'd been there. Are they a free agent? He knew everything. How about the team? What's record? Going back 100 years, if they played baseball that long ago. He was, just, he was a baseball prodigy, and he knew everything about baseball. You could ask him anything, and he'd have the answer. Then one day he asked himself, I wonder if I'll ever learn how to play baseball. What? You know, that, 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 that's crazy. How could anyone so studied in these disciplines, the sport, not know how to do it themselves? That would be like a pilot never flying, a teacher never teaching, a plumber never plumbing, or whatever, whatever you call they do, fishermen never fishing. What? That's crazy. But it's not any more far-fetched than the vast majority who have read and studied Yahweh's word, maybe from a child, now they're 80 years old, and they've been through every Bible story, 
studied it page by page, word by word, learned the Hebrew, the Greek behind it, have many Bibles in their personal library. They may have read the Bible through a dozen times, sat through thousands of sermons, gone to so many seminars they could never count them all have dozens and dozens of translations and studied and memorized hundreds of passages and chapters, even entire books. They may have examined the Hebrew and Greek till the cows come home. And yet, after all that, there's little evidence that the Bible has made much difference in the way they live. They've learned to cordon off their religious spiritual life from their secular daily life. And never the twain would meet. You know, many people continue to live their lives untouched by the word, even though they know the word, they've studied the word, they've gone to church, they've on and on their entire lives. You ask them a question, they don't really know. They don't really know the answer. But they continue to live like the world, enjoy the same entertainment, laugh at the same checkered jokes, use the same foul language at times, at times have uncontrolled anger, cheat like the world, go back on their commitments like the world, just live like the world even though they claim to be of the Bible. In short, they have the same attitudes as everybody else out there who has no interest, no use for the scriptures. All the years of Bible reading, studying, and training are complete wash in their lives. Have you ever known anybody like that? Why? Why hasn't their experience with the Bible impacted how they live? Where it actually counts. Why do so many never reach the nexus where learning merges with doing? Isn't that the whole point of the Bible? Isn't that the whole point of instruction? To change the heart, to alter the walk, to experience a permanent spiritual change in life, to fill a big empty hole. You know, one nominal churchgoer said the most she could say about her minister after one of his best sermons was, that was interesting. When what she came for was an impact that would change her life to inspire a new and greater direction, to lead her to refreshing spiritual fulfillment. That's what she wanted. All she heard was facts on file. She didn't want more emptiness. In commenting on Israel, the Old Testament, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. He tells us that all the experiences of Israel are there to change the way we live. You know, it wasn't just a waste of writing for the prophets to write these things and the people wouldn't listen. It wasn't just a waste because we can benefit too. That's the whole reason Yahweh puts it in his word. He tells us that all the experiences are for us as well. That's why we read it, the good, the bad, the ugly. We learn from all of it, what to do, what not to do, what to steer from, stay stay away from. All Israel did, right, and all they did wrong were teaching moments. We're expected to learn from them, even if Israel did not. 
most of the time. <coughs> Excuse me. When they disobeyed or when they ignored Yahweh, they suffered. When they lived by the word, they prospered. That was the whole meaning. That was the whole impact. That was the whole reason that Yahweh chose them so they could be an example to the world, not to the world's worst example. When they disobeyed, they suffered. It all boils down to this. Are we applying our personal lives to our personal lives, what we learn here in Bible studies, uh, on our own studies? Are we applying it? Are we really living by what we're reading? Are we really living by what we're hearing and teaching and, and studying? Is it making any difference? Do our spouse, family, friends see spiritual growth coming from our walk? Or are we always, it seems like, like we've always been locked into this pattern and never seem to get out of it? Where's the commitment, the personal change, the permanent change in all this biblical business? James wrote that Yahweh's word is a message to obey and not just to listen to. Therein lies the rub, and here's an obvious and simple concept, but difficult for most people because they don't want to change. They're happy where they are. <coughs> there are plenty of forces working against living the word, not the least of which is our own nature. Our innate carnality resists it. Doing right takes a conscious effort. Doing wrong comes naturally. Take two toddlers at play. I like to use the example of babies or toddlers because they're, they're human nature at its most natural. Here's one. He's over in a corner and he's accumulated all the toys. And his friend's over here holding a toy and he goes and he grabs it, pulls it. He wants more. And the little guy starts crying and he doesn't care. He's got a pile of toys and he's happy. He doesn't care what what effect that's had on his friend. Does he share or does he accumulate for himself and then selfishly wrest one more out of the other's hands, leaving him a very unhappy companion in the sandbox? You know, many adults never grow beyond such self-centered behavior. They never get past that. They're calloused and lacking in soft tissue. Even in families, you can often see the results of the maxim where there's a will, there's a lawsuit. You know, regardless, bottom line, whatever we choose to do in life, whatever it is, our everlasting life will be impacted. There's a record going on where we can't see it, but Yahweh has it. There's a record of our life every day being registered somewhere. I always try to remind myself of that. Ask yourself, am I living up to Romans 12.1? Paul writes, quote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Elohim, which is your reasonable service. This is, the, this is the, just the minimum, he says, a living sacrifice. We can sacrifice monetarily. We can sacrifice of things. But he's talking here about living sacrifice of our life. The time, the precious time we have, we only have so many hours in this life, 
to sacrifice for somebody else. Do you give up your time to help others, share resources to help your brother or sister? Are you just a taker like a toddler in the sandbox? Paul said sacrificing for others is reasonable service. Now that word is related to logic in the Greek. It's not something that just automatically you do and don't even think about it because you're just so used to doing it. It's one you've got to think about. And when you have to think about it and do it, it's going to make a change in you. It refers to a contemplative mind and not something done out of rote memory, so to speak. When we go out of our way to help others, it changes us as well. Well, with this background, let's see how we can change or at least better our studies in the Word so that it becomes a permanent part of us, as Yahweh intended. There's five stages, if you think about it, in Bible study. First, you read it. You read the passage. Then you think about it and you understand it. And then comes comprehension, which goes deeper. What does this meaning hold for me? Which leads to applying. And then the final one, doing it. Doing it. That's where, that's where the difficulty comes in. Most don't get past the information stage. Reading and understanding, saying to themselves, that's interesting, and that's as far as it goes. I'm not saying understanding isn't important. You've got to have that. Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be fulfilled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? Well, he continues, That you might walk worthy of the master unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. There's a point to it. There's a point to it. You learn to do. You learn, comma, and then to do. There's a point to knowledge, lessons for our lives. I'll share some uh, personal observations of my own for a moment, and I think I can speak for other elders and other speakers who present the word. When I say that, we usually expect a little too much. We expect a little more results from our many hours of study and sacrifice, preparing to present Yahweh's word. For instance, I I can give the most powerful message I can do without screaming about tithing and the 25 passages in the Bible that teach tithing. I can do that, list the patriarchs and others who tithe as part of their worship, explain Matthew 3.8, says keeping the 10% is robbing Yahweh of what's his and go through all those verses promising that you will be blessed if you do and cursed if you don't. And we hear from people who'd never tithe and still don't tithe. I can talk till I'm blue in the face. The most convincing words I know. And it falls on some deaf ears. Some will. Some will. Yeah. That's right, i got to do it. That's what it says, I'll do it. But there's always those out there, the stubborn ones who will not bend. That's, you know, this is, one of the, this is one of the basic doctrines of Scripture, along with maybe Sabbath-keeping and feast-keeping. But we'll always hear from those who will twist the arguments into a mental pretzel 
in order to excuse their noncompliance, trying to excuse themselves. They use blanket arguments like, well, that's Old Testament. Uh, that's just for Jews. Or, Yahshua already did that for us. We don't have to do it. We rely on him. We have faith in him, so we don't have to. And they completely ignore his New Testament commands, his examples, what he taught, what he taught his disciples to teach, what they taught. They completely ignore all that and refuse to comply. Or as one guy said, well, that's for you. That's not for me. I guess there isn't much more you can say to that. He shut his mind off completely. Boom. That's it. That's for you. It's not for me. And don't tell me anything more. I can stand up here and deliver the most convincing, ironclad message about how necessary, even critical it is to appear before Yahweh on the Sabbath and feast and praise and worship, explain the command against neglecting meeting together on these times. I can do all that and show why and how necessary it is to gather with others, to help them, to guide them as well, even detailing it and showing the newly, the, the baptismal candidate, how important it is to keep the Sabbath and keep the feast. And I get a, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm going to do that. I will, I promise, I will, I do, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then they don't do it. I look for them at the feast. They're not there. No change. They're the same after immersion as they were before. No change. I don't get it. Don't blame hard-hearted Israel for their rebellion if your heart is just as stubborn as Israel's was. If you can't get over your self-centeredness, don't look to excuse yourself because others can see right through it and see how ridiculous you look. Brethren, we at YRM don't exist to tickle ears. We're here to change lives. We want to change lives because we care about you. We teach a no-nonsense message. And when we see nothing happening in regard to individuals who should know better, to make changes, but just see spiritual stagnation, we double down. We could just as easily give up, throw in the towel, do something else with our lives. But when the word is in your heart, you don't give up. You can't give up. It was said that sacred name pioneer Elder C.O. Dodd died early because he killed himself working, literally killed himself working to death, doing everything he could to get the word out in his little ministry. We can do more and reach more people by posting one message on our website, on Roku, than he could do an entire lifetime handing out tracts and talking to people. It's amazing. We could do 100,000 times more than he could doing it the old-fashioned way. Yet, it's getting more difficult to preach the strict word as we all probably know by now. As we see the world out there, we know it's going to get harder and harder. People want ear-tickling sermons so they can feel justified in living their way the way they want to. You know, gone are the golden years of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s. They're never coming back. Back when people were a lot more receptive, they were a lot more sincere when it came to the Bible. 
That's not saying it's not here now, but it's less and less and less. Most of that generation is half gone. Open your doors, the door to a church, and look in there and count. You see how many young people in there? No. You see a bunch of people like my age because they still had that core from the 50s, 60s, and 70s when the Bible meant something. Fewer and fewer people want the pure word anymore, and that was prophesied. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, we've come. We've come to that years ago. Don't preach the commandments. I want mush, something non-impacting, so I don't have to feel uncomfortable that I need to change the way I live. I want messages about a girl picking pretty flowers so I can keep my sinful ways without feeling guilty. Candy coat, my sin, hide it from view. Put a lot of sugar on it, and I'll feel better. Brethren, because we care about you, we will not ever stop until our last breath, serving up the meat of the word, even when other assemblies drop the ball and won't preach it. We'll still be out there, which I fear is, frankly, starting to happen more and more. Yahshua said in Luke 19.40, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What an indictment. You can live and worship how you want. Joshua told Israel in 24.15, but you go your way. There's Israel out there. There's the you know, the land of Canaan, you conquer it or not. You can live by the statutes of Yahweh wherever you go or not. But as for me and my family, this is what we're going to do. We'll serve Yahweh because that's for all the marbles. I added that last part, by the way. Always in the book of our minds, I should say in the back of our minds, it should be the book of our minds too, is that the messenger is accountable for what he says and what he does and he must explain himself one day to the judge. We are commanded to speak out when necessary. Speak out. Teach the word. Cry aloud. Spare not. Isaiah 58.1. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So, let's see how Bible study should impact our lives. For many of us, it does. I would say for most here it does. I'm speaking mainly to, not to the choir, but to those out there, the many thousands who are hearing the message out there. You know, we have, we have millions of people watching our Roku and our other outreach things. Millions, millions of views. Let's see how the Bible study should impact. Well, we already mentioned the first couple of steps. Reading and understanding, that comes first. That's obvious. If you don't understand it, you're not going to do anything about it. These are key, but they're not the all in all. They're not even in the goal of Bible study. They're only the foundation to start with. The real study comes afterwards. The tough part is coming up. Once we comprehend the message, then we got to apply it. How can I apply this to my life? How can I use this? Now, people call with problems all the time. What better way to overcome their problems by following the scriptures and what it says? Not only are they true and right, not only will they solve problems in your life, but Yahweh will bless you for it. 
Yahweh's going to bless you for it. Have him behind you. How can you fail? You really got to get into the word. Not just think that a prayer is going to help when you're really in deep with your problem. Prayer will help, but it's not necessarily the only thing he expects of you. Once we comprehend the message, we've got to apply it. And after hearing his son preach a message, the minister said, you know, it was a good message, but you didn't make application. It was just facts on file. And that was all it was, because I was there, I heard it. It didn't move me to do anything. I just heard a message of facts, interesting I had to go, and I had to make the application. I had to dig it out from the passages that he showed. Or I'll just like a look at my face in the mirror and walk away, and it's, the image is gone. If you don't show how the message must be applied to behavior to change us for the better, you wasted your time. Can the listener hang their hats on it? Does it make a personal impact and inspire change? Or not? That should be the goal of every message preached. Can they take it to the bank? Can they use what I said to better their lives, to grow spiritually, to solve the problems in their life, or whatever it might be? Or is it just wasting their time and mine as well? With no overarching purpose. So application answers the question, how do I use what I just learned? How do I use it? How do I apply it? Simply put, application answers the question, so what? Study the prophets. So what? Listen to the parables. So what? Read the Beatitudes. So what? So what is if you apply it? That's what the purpose is. Yahshua's biggest subject was the kingdom, the part they, they never preached, the part you never hear. The gospel is really the message of the kingdom. That's the ultimate goal. That's the purpose. That was the whole reason. He came to earth to show us the way to the kingdom. And that's the part they never show. They never talk about. They never, you never hear out in nominal worship. The most important thing, and they don't talk about it. That was the biggest subject. This is one of the parables that Yahshua explained privately for his disciples, his, his, his explanation. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has no root, he has no root, he lasts only a short time. He doesn't have his whole into it. It's just surface, it's just surface interest. He doesn't have his body, soul, and spirit into it. So he's not deep. He's not rooted. He hasn't had the the history, maybe, the background, the whatever, uh, to accept this message. He, he, he likes it, sounds good, and it, he's happy to have it, but then it just fades away. 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed with, that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, make it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, he understands it, he produces a crop, in other words, he applies it. It's like fertilizer. I fertilized my fruit trees this fall. Before the rains came, I thought I'd better get them in there, you know. But I had a hard time finding fertilizer. Come on. This is when you're supposed to fertilize. You know, fall and spring. I go to these different stores. There's no fertilizer. They all put it away because I guess people don't do it. Kind of like the word. They just put it away because people don't want to hear it. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown, Matthew 13, 18 to 23. You know, the truth can be snatched away by the evil one, and he does it all the time. That occurs when we're too caught up in the worries of the world, the living of the world, the riches of the world, and it chokes the truth right out of you. Too many carnal pursuits suffocate dedication. Let's face it, humans are fickle and they're unreliable. And we got to get over that as well as Yahweh's believers. If Margie and my family and Debbie and Bob can keep 50 years of the feast, all seven, every year for 50 years, you can do it too. You can do it too. Excuses are just excuses. They were never an option when Yahweh commanded the feast days. Every year, some of you know this, every year for five years in a row, Marge and I were taking either my parents or one of her parents, to the emergency room, from the feast to the emergency room. I mean, it got, it got crazy. What's going to happen this year? With different serious medical issues. Heart attacks, diabetic coma, dislocated hip. Remember, they flew her dad to, in a helicopter to St. Louis one feast. Had to take him away from the feast. And then I hear lame excuses. Lame excuse. I can't make the feast just here. I got a flat tire. Stuff like that. I don't, have a, I don't have the money. I'm not bragging on ourselves. I'm just saying when you're dedicated, you do it. No matter what you do, you de- you're dedicated. I'm not boasting. I don't mean to boast. But that's just facts. I'm just hoping that might encourage more people to get a little more dedicated. I never understood the way some people attend the feasts. Attend one year and not the next. What? I don't see that in the command. Every other year, keep a feast to me in the wilderness. That's not what Yahweh commanded. That might be excusable maybe for someone on a deathbed, but not when you are mobile. You have no excuse. When Yahweh commanded feast compliance, 
He never provided a list of excuses to choose from for not going. He didn't give any extenuating circumstances that would preclude attendance. He never gave a statute of limitations when you can quit doing the feasts, going to the feasts. At a certain age or health, you are excused. Or how about the one you go for three or four days and then say, okay, I'm going home. Imagine Israel. I always think, imagine Israel. All right, the feast is coming up. All of Israel gets together at Jerusalem to keep the feast, right? All of Israel comes together to keep the feast seven days, eight days, depending on which feast, you know. And then halfway through they say, okay, I guess we'll go home. Yeah, right. As soon as you step out, the ground opens up and you're swallowed up. Or hailstones fall on your head. You don't play with Yahweh, brethren. Well, back to the parable. The seed on good soil takes root and prospers. Yahweh says, where it is understood and applied rightfully. That's when it prospers, when your heart is receptive. Yahweh promises huge blessings when we obey. That's the point I'm trying to make. Revelation 2.9, I know your works in tribulation and poverty, but you are rich in one way, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. You're going to have, it's not going to be easy street all the time. No, of course not. We know that. We all have problems. But he says, it's only for a little while. Get through it. You'll make it. Get past it. You're going to suffer a little. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death even, and I will give you a crown of life. What better promise is that? Stick it out even till... You know, Paul, they were all telling him, you can't go to Rome. They'll slaughter you. What do you think you're doing? He says, I'm ready to go right now. If I die, I die. I don't care. Because he knew, he knew that he was promised eternal life if it did happen. What better way to go when the service of Yahweh, when you're serving Yahweh? It says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies. He that overcomes shall not be hurt. Of the second death. There's a promise you can bank on, so to speak. There's a promise you can hang your hat on. If you're, if you're faithful, if you're faithful in everything, you overcome in everything the best you can, he's promising you that you won't have to worry about the second death. That means you'll be in the first resurrection. You'll rise. I tried to explain that at the my mother-in-law's funeral a few days ago and I know that was full of mostly unbelievers or at least ones that aren't serious about the Bible but I always try to explain that look (laughs) this life is not just a game that it has an end and someday you're going to have to face the judge are you thinking about that in your life when you're living it are you thinking about it 
You're going to have to face the judge. It'll happen. I'll guarantee you it'll happen. What are you going to do? What excuse are you going to come up with? Well, I didn't really know. I just didn't know. That's not an excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse. A cop stops you on the highway. You're going 30 miles per hour over the speed limit. He says, uh, you're, you're speeding. Did you know that? You're speeding. Yeah. Uh, maybe I was, but I didn't know. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that, that, that excuses you. No ticket. You've been driving on this road how long? I didn't know. Yeah, right. Well, you know, that's the same way that Yahweh's going to look at it. You had the chance to know. You heard the word at times. Were you really serious? It all, it all comes back on you. You know, no matter what you do in this life, you're going you're gonna to have to live with the results. As we, a brother said in the Bible study, you know, actions have consequences. They have consequences. So let's get the best consequences of our actions. Let's live Yahweh's way and not, and not live for ourselves, which is only a life of what we're promised, 70 years, three score and ten but when we live Yahweh, we live his way, it's an eternity. What can be better than that? What we want more than that. A minister used to end his messages by, and you? So that's how I'll end this message about commitment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.